This week is going to be our first week where we're going to be posting our sermons online. We have intentionally kind of not been doing that um, for a variety of reasons, but we're going to start posting them online. So if you are not here, if you are listening to this sermon because you're traveling, we love you and we miss you. Um, But from now on, you can catch up on anything in a series that you have missed, which is going to be really important because this series we're going to be starting uh, this week is uh, a series called Redefined. And I am so, so excited about this series. Um, I can honestly say that I don't think there is a place in the Bible, there's not a a chunk of scripture that has been more important to me or has influenced me greater than what we're going to be looking at over the next few months. Um, What it is is a series that is going to be looking at the most famous, the most famous sermon ever delivered. Um, this teaching is a, a teaching called the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. And really, uh, secular scholars and Christian scholars would agree that it, in, in the area of ethics and morality and, and spirituality, there has been no more influential speech or sermon or teaching given than this one. You're going to recognize little quotes that have made their way into popular culture, not just Christian culture. This sermon has greatly impacted not just the church and the Christian community, but the entire world from Martin Luther King to Gandhi to Mother Teresa to like, you know, things that you tell your kids so they're kind to one another. It is a very, very important teaching. And you find it a few places in the Bible, um, but there's a really comprehensive look at it in the book of Matthew. Um, So we're going to be looking at Matthew 5 through 7 over the the next few months, and we're going to start at Matthew 5 today. Um, But we're calling this series Redefined because in this series, Jesus is speaking to his followers. Um, He's speaking to his disciples and they would have been super familiar with the Bible. They would have been super familiar with, with the law and the teachings of the Bible. And essentially what he's doing in the series is saying, you know, guys, here is what you have come to believe about God. Here's what you've come to believe about humanity. Here's what you've come to believe about what it means to be a follower of God. But I'm here to redefine that for you. I'm here to tell you how it really is. I'm here to tell you the truth about everything that we've come to know about being a follower of Jesus. I'm here to redefine it. And so these teachings are so radically different than the other teachings that would have been uh, given at the time. It is so flipped upside down. And right side up, all of the teachings that would have been going on at the time. And here's what I believe. I believe that the the Western church, the church here in the United States, we have wandered so far away from the teachings that we read in this sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think over the next few months, um, hopefully, we'll be challenged by that. I can tell you about... 
seven or eight years ago, I did a deep dive. I spent the greater part of a year just studying this sermon. Read a number of books, listened to tons of teachings, and just spent time meditating. And I got to tell you, there were so many things that felt like a burden was lifted off of my shoulders. It just felt like, oh, that is, that is so much more kind, and that is so much more something that, that just resonates with my heart. But I will also tell you that there are parts in this sermon that challenged me, that just looked different than what I had come to believe about what the Bible was or what, what the church needed to be, and it really challenged me. So my hope over the next few months is that you would experience similar things that you would leave here feeling a burden lifted off your shoulders, but also a challenge and maybe a little bit uh, stretched a bit. So this sermon was given 2,000 years ago, but I believe it is just as applicable today. We're going to be looking this morning at kind of the intro to the sermon. It's something known as the Beatitudes. Have you heard of the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes literally means the blessings. It's Jesus essentially saying, blessed are these people, and blessed are these people. And I really believe that the Beatitudes that we're going to be looking at this morning are kind of, it's kind of setting the stage for the rest of the sermon. It's kind of him laying out, this is what I'm going to be talking about over the entirety of this sermon. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a bird's eye view. We're going to look at these Beatitudes, and then over the next three months, we're going to be unpacking, really, these Beatitudes even more, because they, they kind of get unpacked as he delivers this sermon. Um, and so I got I to gotta warn you, it's this bird's eye view, so we're kind of doing a fire hose approach this morning. We're, we're going to be jumping around, talking about a lot of different things. So before we jump in, let me just, let me just pray. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Jesus, I pray that you would breathe on these words just as you breathed them out 2,000 years ago. And we just say we are open and, and expecting you to speak to us. In your name, amen. All right, so before we jump in, let me give you a little background of where Jesus would have been and, and what, what was going on at the time. So this sermon was, uh, there's a little bit of a debate of where exactly this sermon was given. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because it was, it was given on a mountainside. It would have been on a mountain, but different traditions and different people say it was this mountain, and some people say it was this mountain. But we do know it was, it was given on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, the sermon probably would have taken about three hours or more to give. This was a long sermon, so buckle in. We're going to go through it now. Um, but, but it would have happened um, pretty early in Jesus' ministry. It was towards the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. If you didn't know, Jesus didn't start his public ministry until he was 30 years old. And what he basically did was um, he was baptized 
you know that story? Jesus was baptized, and there was like this really cool moment where the, the, the voice of the Father said, this is my son, and I'm super, super proud of him. I'm pleased with him. And then immediately Jesus went into the desert. It says the Holy Spirit led him into the desert. And I think it's really interesting that he went from hearing the voice of his Father to immediately hearing the voice of Satan. And then it says he left the desert filled and empowered with the Spirit. And then he started this, this, this ministry of his. And the ministry was this. He says he would go around town to town preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. That means the good news of the kingdom of God. And the good news of the kingdom of God is simply that God's kingdom isn't a million miles away. It is here. It's, it's coming to earth. And here's what it looks like. It looks like prisoners being set free. It looks like hungry people being fed. It looks like racial divides being broken down. It looks like the excluded being included. It looks like healing and all of these things. And he not only preached about it, but he demonstrated it. He would, he would pray for the sick and, and feed the poor, include the excluded, embrace the leper. He, he did all of these things, not only preaching the gospel, but demonstrating the gospel. And and in doing this, he began to draw a huge crowd. There were people from all over who wanted to, to see Jesus, to hear from Jesus. Um, and they were, there, you know, thousands of people. This, these crowds would have been thousands of people coming to hear and see Jesus. And they came to see him for a variety of reasons. And that's kind of the backdrop of where this sermon takes place. Is this, these, there would have been this huge crowd of people. So let's jump in to Matthew chapter 5. So it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to join him, and he began to teach them. Let's stop there, because I think there's a couple things that I just want to point out really quickly just in that. I think it's extremely important because, one, it tells us that Jesus is giving this message to his followers, He's, he's, this message is for his disciples, and that is really important to, whenever we're reading scripture, we need to ask, who is the intended audience of who's reading this? So Jesus doesn't have this message. The intention is not to give it to the entire world. It's for his followers. It's for people who say, I'm following you, Jesus. Let's keep that in mind. The second distinction that I think this tells us is that Jesus makes a distinction between the crowd and his disciples. There is a difference um, in being part of the crowd and being a disciple. What's the difference? It's not that Jesus liked them more. It's not that they were more holy. It's not that they were cooler or smarter or more righteous. In fact, oftentimes they were less righteous. It's not that he loved the disciples more than the crowd. He loved the crowd. He cared for the crowd. He, he, he really, really loved the crowd. So what is the difference? Well, I would say a really simple way of, of looking at the, at the difference is the crowd came to Jesus and came and stayed around for a variety of different reasons. Some of them may have come to judge him and be like, let me see what this is all about. Some of them actually came to, like, 
bust them out to be like, I want to I want to catch you in you know heresy, or I want to catch you in 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 saying something that's not right. Some people came because they wanted to see the show. They wanted to see a miracle. They wanted to see Jesus do something amazing. Some of them came because they needed Jesus to do something amazing. They needed healing or they needed a miracle. They came to Jesus to fill some kind of need. Some people came to Jesus because his teachings felt different, and they were like, man, this, this seems wonderful. And all those things are wonderful reasons to come to Jesus. They asked the question, Jesus, what can you do for me? That's, that's great. That's a really good question to ask. But what makes a disciple a disciple is not only do they ask that question, but they say, Jesus, what can I do for you? A disciple not only asks, what can you do for me, Jesus? It says, what can I do for you? It simply, uh, it means a disciple is someone who models their life, who gives their life to someone. And so a disciple would have been there saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to I serve you. I want to model my life after your life. And so Jesus is saying the difference between the crowd and the disciples, the disciple is the one who said, I'm giving it all back to you. I'm going to follow you. Here's my life. And so Jesus, this is, I think this is really, there's a lot that I think this is really important about. But I think here in the Western church, we've confused the idea of the crowd and the disciple. And so churches, I believe, have gotten good at drawing crowds. And and and, and just to be honest with you guys, that's why some of of our tactics here at Cleveland City Vineyard is to not just draw a crowd. Because the call of Jesus on our lives, at the end of his ministry, he didn't say, come and draw crowds. He said, go and make disciples. Go and, and make disciples of all nations. Now, there's nothing wrong with drawing a crowd. A crowd isn't bad. In fact, it can be really good. But we are interested in making disciples here at this church, people who say, Jesus, I'm following you. So let's move on. Jesus says, he goes into these beatitudes, he goes into these blessings. And he says, starts off by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the kingdom of earth, or inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So those are the first four. We're going to stop there. These first four Beatitudes deal with a posture, with a posture specifically kind of towards God. And I don't know what, what, jumps off the page for you, but when, when, when I read this, what like really jumps off the page for me is just how radically different these things are than what I would assume are blessings. These things don't seem like people who are being blessed to me. These seem like, you know, if, if I were to write who the, the, the people are who are blessed, it wouldn't be people who are mourning or people who are poor in spirit. It would be Blessed are those who have a lot of money. 
Blessed are those who are healthy. Blessed are those who have, you know, a thriving business. Blessed are those who have lots of social media followers. Blessed are those who, you know, whatever, who have, not who have not. That's not what Jesus says. So let's, I mean, let's just take each one of them and see why would Jesus say these things? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, how can you say that? Blessed are the poor in spirit. This phrase, poor in spirit, it literally would, would like translate into the same way that you would, you would translate someone who was, who was a beggar. That someone who is so poor that they would stand and beg. And Jesus is saying, blessed are, are people whose spirits feel that way. And I think the reason he would say this is because these people know that they have a need. They know that they have a need. They are desperate. And Jesus actually talks about this principle a lot throughout his ministry. There's a story about a rich young ruler who comes to him and, and asks Jesus, what do, I, what, is it, what do I need to do to follow you? And Jesus says, sell all that you have, give it to the poor. And the guy says, that's too much. I can't do it. And Jesus says to the crowd, he says, it's really hard for people who have everything to follow me. It's really hard. And I don't think there's anything inherently bad with having stuff, but there's something that is Jesus saying, it's actually a blessing to know that you need, to, to be in a place where you're like, I am desperate for you. I'm, I'm poor in spirit. I know that I lack. In Luke chapter 5, there's a story of these people who are criticizing Jesus for the, the, because of the people he spent time with. He said, You're, these, these like kind of religious, powerful people are saying, if Jesus only knew the kind of people he's eating with, if he knew that these people were like as messed up as they are, he, I don't think he'd be, he'd be with them. And Jesus like really is really harsh with them. And, and he basically says, Listen, I, I've come for the people who know that they are sick, not the people who think they are healthy. I've come for the people who know that they are sick, not the people who think that they're healthy. And listen, there's this, this thing inside of us that there's a thing inside of me that when I have come to the end of myself, when I've come to the place where, where I'm not distracted by everything I have, I realize how much I need Jesus. And that is a blessing. The earth, will, you know, the world will tell you that is not a blessing, but Jesus says that is actually a blessing. The world may say that those who are in need are worth less, but not in the, not in the kingdom. Jesus says, no, you are blessed. Because the reality is this, every single one of us is sick. Every single one of us has a need. And when we can come to the realization, when we can come to that understanding that I do have a need, that's a blessing. Goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
To mourn means that you're grieving the loss of something. You have lost. And Jesus is saying, you are blessed if you have lost. We mourn when we lose a loved one. We mourn when we lose a job. We mourn when we lose a dream. When a dream dies. You know, like, there's actually things, like, if, if Olive, like, if she has a balloon and it pops, she mourns that. And there's actually something really good in that. I, I, I encourage Olive to mourn the loss of things. Because all of that stuff, it, it, it's inside of you. It gets stuck inside of you. If you don't address it, it turns into really bad stuff. Mourning is actually a really healthy practice. And here's what, what I have come to realize. In my you know, 15 years of being a pastor, what, I, what I've learned is that I believe that there is deep inside every single human being a feeling of loss of some sort. And some are far more aware of it than others. But the, the reality is, is that we have all experienced loss. And the story of, of the kingdom and the story of the Bible, we see that God made us for purposes. God made us to be in perfect relationship with him. God made us to be in community with one another. God made us to labor with him. And, and I believe when, when sin entered the world and, and we decided to go our own way and abandon him and said, no, we're going to do our own thing, that there was a fracture in those things. There was a loss that we experienced. There was a, a, a loss, a fracture in our relationship with God. There was a fracture in our relationship with one another. And there was a fracture in our relationship with the purpose in which we were made. And I believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus, oftentimes we just talk about the gospel as repairing our relationship with God, but I believe the gospel repairs our relationship with one another. The gospel repairs our relationship with ourselves and the purposes in which we were made. That's the good news is that the kingdom is here, and when the kingdom is here, things are made new. And Jesus is saying it's a blessing with, when you connect with that feeling of loss. Because you know what? When you connect with that feeling of loss, that is the first step at acknowledging, again, like we talked about, that there's a problem. And you're not stuffing it. You're not hiding it. And he says you're blessed because you will be comforted. And that I could repair those relationships. He goes on to say, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is so radically different than what we, what we hear in our society. This is so different than what we hear in the church. Blessed are the meek. Look at our leaders in the church. Like, our leaders in the church are not meek. Our leaders in the church oftentimes are bullies. Our leaders in the church are hungry for power. We would say, blessed are the powerful and the ones who take power. But Jesus says, blessed are the meek. 
And I believe it's true for many of the reasons we just have been talking about, that meek are people who recognize that they, are, they have limits, that they are, they are you know, we, we, if you know Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. When we come to the realization that it's in our weakness that we realize his strength, we see this example in even Jesus' life. Jesus took the posture of a servant. Jesus could have come to earth and said, I am going to take earthly thrones and build huge ministries and make lots of money. He could have done all those things, but he said, I've come humbly as a servant to model it for us. We see even the example of the cross. When he was on the cross, hanging on the cross, what were the people saying? They were mocking him and saying, this is your king? This is your king? He's weak. They're saying, hey, if you're so powerful, call the angels. Tell them to, to, to take you down. And, and Jesus showed that in the example, this upside-down kingdom, this weird reality that it's actually through weakness, through humility, through service, through by the giving of power, that real strength comes from. This word meek is actually really interesting because it actually is the same word that you would use to describe a, a wild horse that was broken, that was tamed. So it's this strong, powerful horse that comes under the guidance and discipline of someone. And, he, and Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you're not just wild, running in, in the wilderness, but when you come under my loving care and discipline. Blessed are you. It's a blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What does that mean? Oftentimes when we hear the word righteousness, I think we think about the wrong things. When I hear the word righteousness, I think of doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. Like, am I sinning or am I not sinning? Am I breaking these rules? Am I going to church enough? Am I being righteous enough? And, and, and I think sometimes doing the right things and not doing bad things is part of righteousness. Um, but when we see the word righteousness, I would encourage you to think of things being made right the way that they were supposed to be. Almost always in the Bible, righteousness is paired with justice. But when we see in the world things that we say, that is not right. That's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. When we see things in our own lives that we're like, I don't like the way I'm treating those people. That's hungering and, and thirsting for righteousness. When we see injustice, when we see people being mistreated, when we see... When we see white supremacy in our country, when we see patriarchy in our country, when we see homophobia in our churches, when we see these things, we say, that is not right. 
That is not right. And we hunger and thirst for things to be made right. And Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for things to be made right. Because, gosh, I believe the first step in making things right is recognizing when they're not right. I, gosh, this is just side thought. I remember during the, the, the you know, the response to the George Floyd murder, I just talked to so many people who just literally could not admit that maybe something was wrong. It's complicated how we deal with some of these things, but I think the first step is saying, oh, I hunger and thirst for righteousness, for things to be made right. And Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for that. Jesus goes on to list four more Beatitudes, and these Beatitudes are, are more less about our posture kind of towards God and our, and our posture towards others. He kind of changes. This is kind of the hinge one of hungering and thirsting for, for righteousness. But he goes on, four more Beatitudes. He says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a shift. This is more about how we look and treat others. And Jesus starts off by saying, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You can go to that next one, Manny. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, there's this idea uh, that there's some kind of correlation. Actually, Tim, I think Manny had to use the restroom. You mind going to the next one? There's this correlation that Jesus um, talks about, uh, this idea of uh, our, the way we show mercy is directly tied to the mercy that we have received. And he talks about this a lot as well. Because if you have been forgiven, Jesus says, then you need to forgive. There's a story about a, a, a king that, that it's a long, I don't need to go into it. But there's a story, Jesus talks about it all the time, about if you have been forgiven, you need to forgive. Forgiven people are forgiving people. And here's the reality. Forgiveness is a gift, just like being forgiven is a gift. Being forgiven is like, oh, my gosh, you're telling me you're, you're just forgiving me? That's such a gift. But the idea of forgiving others, it's not just a gift for them. It is a gift for you. Because what I have learned, we're going to talk more about forgiveness in, in future weeks, but what I have learned about forgiveness is it's not telling people that what they did didn't matter. It's not telling people that there's no consequence to what they did. It's not telling people that they get free reign in your life or your kid's life or whatever. Forgiveness is saying, I no longer want to act as the judge. And I no longer want to live under the burden and weight and pressure of what you did to me. I'm going to let God deal with that. And it's a gift. When I have chosen to forgive people who have wronged me, I have not said, so that means we're going to be best buds again. Sometimes, but not always. Sometimes forgiveness is just saying, God, you deal with this. It's doing too much damage to me. 
Next one. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I used to struggle with this one because I felt like it meant blessed are those who are perfect, who have pure hearts. But I've come to understand it like this. My dad, whenever I would get in trouble, which was super rare, that's not true. I used to get in so much trouble. When, whenever I'd get in trouble, my dad would almost always say the same thing to me. He would say, I care way more about your heart than I do your behavior. I care way more about your insides than your outsides. Your behavior matters. The choices you make matter because sometimes they're an indication of what's going on in your heart, but not always. And I think what Jesus is really addressing here is this kind of pharisaical way of looking at life. What I mean by that is there's these people called the Pharisees who were perfect on the outside, but on the inside they were pretty messed up. And Jesus would talk to him all the time and say, you guys, you do all the right things, but your heart is dirty. You guys make all the right choices, but your heart is, is broken and hard. One time he called them whitewashed tombs, meaning you're, you're clean on the outside, but on the inside you're a tomb, you're dead. And Jesus is addressing this. He's saying, blessed are those who, who are really addressing their heart. He's saying, I care way more about your heart than your behavior. I don't just care about you doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things. I care about your heart, your insides, your thoughts. And I would hope and I would want your insides to match your outsides. That we wouldn't be hypocrites. That our private life would match our public life. He goes on to say, blessed are the peacemakers. I told you guys this is fire hose. We're going one after another. Each one of these could be a sermon, and they will be. That's the cool thing. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are children of God. They will be called children of God. When Jesus is talking about being a peacemaker, this would immediately have brought the idea of shalom. If you know shalom, shalom is a traditional greeting in, in, with, among Jewish people. What it means is peace. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And, and, and this definition of shalom, this definition of peace, um, is not just the absence of conflict. It's not just not having conflict. It's like abundance and fullness and goodness. And, and shalom just means not just not having bad times, but just fullness of life. And Jesus is saying, Blessed are my shalom makers, the people who bring peace. And here's what I believe. I believe there is a difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Jesus is not saying, be a peacemaker, don't rock the boat. Peacemakers are, are scared to offend. Peacemakers are afraid to ruffle feathers, and they say things like, it's more important that addressing this issue will cause disunity, so let's just, let's just focus on unity. Let's focus on being peacemakers. But really, you're just being a peacekeeper. 
Peacemakers ruffle feathers oftentimes. We talked about him earlier. Martin Luther King Jr. was a peacemaker, but in being a peacemaker, he had to disrupt, you know, really, really bad systems. He had to speak out against injustices. Being a peacemaker would be people like we want to be in this church where we address homophobia. We address it and we say, gosh, this might make... a some of us uncomfortable, but we need to talk about it. We're not going to just bury our heads in the sand. It's addressing things and saying, you know, we're whole, people are holding others down. They're marginalizing people. They're calling people second-class citizens. And being a peacekeeper would say, well, it's easier to keep it that way. But being a peacemaker would say, no, it's not right. Jesus is calling us to be peacemakers. And peacemakers sometimes have to cause good trouble. Finally, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice he says, because of righteousness. Gosh, man, I am tired of hearing the Western church say they are being persecuted. <laughs> Jesus is saying, when you choose to be my disciple, when you choose to follow me, when you choose to model your life after me, you are going to be persecuted just like I was. He's saying, if you want to be a peacemaker... You're going to be persecuted. And Martin Luther King was persecuted. When you choose to be a forgiver, someone who says, I'm, it's not my job to be the, the uh, vengeance of God. It's not my job. Jesus is the judge. When you choose to be a forgiver, you're going to be persecuted. When we choose to step in some of these waters, like, gosh, I received way more persecution when I cho chose to speak out against injustices in the world and say black, when I put Black Lives Matter on my Facebook page, I think I received more persecution than when I say, I love Jesus. When our church, when we step into the waters and we speak out against homophobia, when we say that the LGBTQ people are not second-class citizens in our church, that they don't have limits on who they are in this church, we are going to receive persecution. Because I believe that's what Jesus would do. When we, when, we, when we say that women can preach in this church, and women can, we believe that women can be Pastors and leaders and all kinds of work, the, the church might actually persecute us. But I believe it's, we're being persecuted for righteousness. And Jesus is blessed are you when that stuff happens because it happened to me. Persecution isn't being required to wear a mask. Persecution isn't having to, 
you know, do church over Zoom for a few months. Persecution isn't having other people's life choices acceptable in culture. Persecution isn't like saying that people need to make cakes for all weddings if they're going to make cakes for weddings. That's not persecution. Yeah, exactly. Do you know, even talking about that, it is driving me crazy, this whole thing about Ariel being uh, black. Let me rephrase that. It's beautiful that Ariel is black in, this, in this, this remake of The Little Mermaid. It's driving me crazy that people have a problem with it. You know what drives me even more crazy? I saw a few days ago that there is a Facebook group called Christians Against the Little Mermaid. Jesus says persecution that I'm talking about. It's not having to have a movie that doesn't even affect you. When Christians claim persecution, oftentimes I think they're facing the consequences of being jerks. Or sometimes they are upset that they are not being centered. <laughs> like, what? How come I'm not the most important person in the room? Persecution. How come another voice gets to be heard? Persecution. Jesus says, blessed are you when you receive persecution for righteousness. So here's how I want to end. Can we stand? We're going to be talking. If any of you think... Any of these things, you're like, oh, I wish we'd talk about this more. We will be. That's what this whole sermon is about, is about all this stuff we've been talking about. I mean, this whole series is going to be diving into these ideas. 